0: Hey, good evening. I'm Tony Mann. Thank you for coming tonight. And uh, we have a really, really cool guest tonight, Walter Schreifels from uh, Dead Heavens, among other cool bands he's played with. I'd like to thank um, Coney Allen Baby for their hospitality. And I'd like to introduce you now to author and filmmaker Steven Blush.
1: Come on, everybody, let's hear for Tony Mann, our co-host, and my right hand. What you're about to see is part of a series. Once a month, we sit down with some of the great minds of rock culture. I know the history and the backstory, which is why we call this the art of the interview. So thank you for coming. Um, Tonight's guest needs relatively little introduction over the past 25 years. His sounds have literally defined the music of New York hardcore and New York rock in general. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Walter Schreifels. Yo, here's your microphone. Thank you. So thank you everybody for coming. we could talk for a long time about you, but so let's just kind of get right into it. Um, let's start as your child, you know, you started in bands really young. So kind of talk about your childhood, getting into rock, your first rock moments, shows, emotions,
2: feelings. Um, I was just thinking I miss therapy. Um, uh, I was just thinking of my first early things were uh, in Rockaway. Playing in just basements, I think pretty typical. Like um, we had a band called the Rodents, and we would write songs about people in our class that we wanted to make fun of, and uh, and then eventually, I guess the you know the chain of events got to where I was in Gorilla Biscuits, and then we got to play CB's, and. I just remember not being able to sleep the night before and uh just thinking of how scary it would be to actually be on the stage and at the same time very exciting and um those are the those are the big ones and then after that it was all kind of just whatever it's a blur right
1: <laughs> yeah I wanted to talk about some of that early stuff uh-huh. like well first of all I remember coming up at the late 70s there were these Uh, Pills with 714 on them. Right, and they were really big, and that's why you use the name Gorilla Biscuits, of course. Yes, yes. Which, of course, was great for a straight edge band. But Uh um, just kind of talk about uh, you guys, uh, Gorilla Biscuits was amongst the first bands that was kind of raised on the first generation, kind of raised on minor threat and SSD. So, kind of talk about the promise and the influence and the inspiration of those bands and Straight Edge and, uh, as it played into you as well.
2: Well, initially, we, we were into um, Descendants and, uh, well, yeah, sure, Minor Threat, but I think there was a more punk side of it because, I mean, the name Gorilla Biscuits, like Siv the Singer, was just talking about drugs that he had sold, and, and that one came up. It's like, oh, that's the name of the band right there. That, that's a good one. So I... Um, it was kind of silly and, and fun you know, in that way. So it wasn't really, although you know, I was a fan of Minor Threat, I was a fan of so many other things. But I think as the hardcore scene started to, in New York started to get more aggressive and we wanted to be a part of that more, I think we moved over towards, yeah, SSD and um, trying to be more connected to that and less connected to the melodic punk which, um, but I think that that still kind of spirit, stay with the band, which, which made it more, set us apart somewhat. Mm-hmm.
1: You're talking about CBGBs, which, of course, the matinees are mm-hmm. kind of key to the whole thing. Now, I guess it's your second matinee that uh, gets the shows shut down there. And, well, we and uh, I, was gonna, I was just going to also say it's like some of those shows were pretty ultra-violent to begin with. So it must have really been something to actually, for your show, to help shut it down.
2: Yeah. I can remember being at an AF show at CB's. Like, it was a very formative show where I was just underneath all these people. And just, if you ever, when you're at the beach, and I grew up in Rockaway, so there'd be, like, hurricane waves would come in, and you'd just get knocked under, and you'd be in the whitewash, and you'd just be like, oh my god, I could drown or die, but you just got to chill to get out of it. Like, that's how I was, like, in the pit at CB's in <laughs> AF. Like, I want to see my mom again. <laughs> and just being in this thing and just being like don't fight it just go with it and just kind of like go backwards find the edge and then and then getting out to the side and be like okay i'm not going in again right now um but the show that we did that uh like shut down this, so this was uh for for uh for if you you know the things in new york hardcore that are to the people that were there, are so like powerful in our imaginations because you know we were teenagers and this was like CBGBs, and we had a sense of it being what it was. You know what I mean? We knew that all music had and culture had been so affected, and for some reason, this amazing club was forgotten, and we got to be the main thing, it, it, at least in our minds. You know what I mean? And, and um. When we got to, like, shut down the show, so to speak, it was really because I think uh, Hilly and his wife Karen, who was uh, really hands-on for those hardcore shows, they were dealing with, uh, you know, and it was real. Like, kids were getting hurt really badly. And there was insurance and um, issues. And um, so at our show, you know, it was just part of our, you know... Asshole way to just be like, not like, what do you want us to do? You know, we're gonna have stage diving, and uh, and it represented uh, you know, so Karen was just pissed at, at that, and it ultimately didn't shut it down, it just got us banned, you know. <laughs> um,
1: and then after that, you there's a short time where you're playing bass with uh, Warzone, and um, yes, that's kind of like an Im- it must be trial by fire. Learning mm-hmm. from Ray Bees, a really important character in this neighborhood.
2: Yeah, Ray Bees was an incredible. Uh, I mean, he he was he just loomed so large and in in this scene and and you know here we are in Avenue A, which is very nice. There's a Seven Eleven across the street. It's great. But when I can just remember going to Odessa as a little kid, my mom taking me there and just seeing someone walk by with a mohawk and just being feeling like I was in. You know, uh, Liquid Sky or something. It was just this far out world, and then I'm walking around with Ray B's on like Avenue B in the '80s, and just uh, how that really expanded my uh, little world. And uh, he just knew everybody and knew everything, and and he, you weren't scared walking around with him at all. He just could open all the doors, and it was very cool. I I loved loved playing in Warzone. It was a lot of fun.
1: And then you go on to Youth of Today, which mm-hmm. was a huge band in your life anyway. So mm-hmm. it must have always been like joining the Beatles or, or something. It was like exactly that. like joining the Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, so really, I tell everybody. Yeah, yeah, it was like a huge moment, no doubt. Uh, yeah, and um, they. Uh, and I came like in as
2: w- the cute one. Right, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it was also like a very strange part of that band's history because they had broken up Uh and then they're like back together and touring with the adolescents, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, oh, that was fantastic, yeah. Right, and so um, not just um, your memories of that band, but also being in definitely like the most intense... Pro straight edge, pro Krishna, anti heavy metal mm. band like ever, right? I mean, that, um, that was I like think that
2: maybe would be the the way that it would be seen in some way, but I I think that's really just because it was in contrast to the sort of uh, it was in contrast to the, the image that I went to CBGBs in the first place for. Like danger, you know, broken glass, bad drugs. Like that that whole idea was. Um, what attracted me, not that I want. I just wanted, you know, I had seen Suburbia, I had seen Repo Man, I wanted something dangerous. And Youth, when I got there, it was cool, but a little bit dead. And Youth Today came in with this new, almost, um, you know, very uh, positive message, which was in a way a rebellion within that. And I don't think that it was like anti-metal as much as it was uh, it getting into the pure... Aspects of like SSD or, or a negative approach, you know, a negative approach, uh, maybe less minor threat. But these bands that had maybe a few years before really defined the style, you know, this new kind of music that no, you know, music gets new kinds of music get get invented only w- once in a while, you know. There's like uh, and and minor threat, negative approach, and and you know, definitely Agnostic Front, and and these bands really. Invented something that Youth Today was saying, like, let's do that, let's not do crossover metal. And I, I think that was refreshing to me.
1: Mm-hmm. There was a severity to all this music that is kind of like unseen t- even today. Mm-hmm. Um, you had that project right around that time, Project X, mm-hmm. which is just so negative and so mm. like intense. Yeah. Um, like, there's a song, Dance Floor Justice, yes. I remember, where it's there's like... There's a drunk
2: in the pit. Yeah, there's a drunk in the pit. He's and messing and he's, with my friends, I'm gonna make it end.
1: It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome, right? So severe, like... It was
2: just m- more parody, I think. To be honest, like, parodying our own story. You know what I mean? Because um, that's how, how I perceived it. Because, in truth, you know, I... I didn't have anything against people that drank. You know, one of my favorite bands was Murphy's Law, who were the embodiment of drinking and smoking weed. I didn't do that at that time because I was just into this other trip, but uh, it didn't make the things that I was into before not cool. So the idea of doing Something that is to the ultimate extreme in the way it looks, in the way that it sounds, in the, in the name of it and all that kind of thing is something that I w- was attracted to from a, long, from, a, from a young age. You know, you see the Ramones. They look the same. They're called the Ramones. It sounds like that. It's just cool. So here's a band that is called Project X. They will beat up drunk people, and it just works. Yeah. A- and the music's good. I, I mean, I think it, it's good.
1: Um, A lot of us were friendly with uh, Jerry Williams, who worked with the Bad Brains. And uh, through him, that's how I knew your bass player, Sergio Vega. Right. So I remember hearing your first demo, maybe 1989, 1990. And I just remember being drawn to it, but also feeling how it was such a New York kind of sound. But also that, I guess the word became post-hardcore later, but there was undeniably something with you and Fugazi and page hamilton and helmet that was going on which was innately punk rock just in its attitude it wasn't didn't really sound like it wasn't punk rock but it certainly was that i just think it's a very important movement that sometimes gets overlooked i don't yeah. know if you have Yeah,
2: thank you. Um i think with uh the hardcore music scene that i got involved with and 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 had these really cool ex- experiences and and just I think a lot of people run through the hardcore thing and they, they, if you notice all a lot of the bands have like one album, two albums tops, an EP, a lot of bands are, you know, playing in Europe, European festivals because they had an EP or a demo tape. It just runs its course for a lot of people. And um I think that the power of the scene here in in New York was so really really great and it was um kind of cresting and getting at its most popular uh when it was also at the same time, CBGBs wasn't booking shows, and it was getting very violent because it was popular. So, um, at the same time, it was kind of, you know, collapsing. But I think as a musical endeavor, or as I started to think of myself as a musician, or Sergio, someone like that, or Jerry Williams, like these are these are music people, or Paige, the people that you mentioned, and they're taking that energy and reinterpreting for for some doing something new. I mean, we weren't thinking about necessarily, there was no target that we were trying to hit. We were just taking our experiences and maybe um, trying to make something that would be broader, more interesting to people outside of, you know, this sort of ritualized, really getting violent and not, and not so so fun. And it, For me at that time, that's how I felt about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Then, you know, with quicksand, it gets kind of interesting because there's this nirvana explosion and like everybody gets kind of swept up in it and i'm sure that's how you ended up at polygram somehow and yeah. and um but kind of just talk about what was going on cuz <clears throat> i always felt like the new york bands already were nasty and grungy so the the idea of grunge was a little fo- yeah. that wasn't that radical
2: right. right so oh i thought we didn't stand a chance yeah. you know what i mean like the when nirvana came up nirvana were so amazingly powerful and um I was into their their record on sub pop uh Bleach and and they were just so cool and sludgy and amazing but they also had this melody and you know when they when they got really popular and uh you know in Pearl Jam and uh obviously even just saying from Nirvana to Pearl Jam it's like not that Pearl Jam aren't awesome too but it's just it was pop it became just like about melody and new york is not really our scene is not melody it's about vibe it's about design for a club about this big but yet we were cool and we were in new york city and this is where all the industry was so like all of our bands got signed and we i think we were you know i'm not putting it down i think helmet were amazing and 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 quicksand were you know if i can say i think we were really great um I think that there was something about our sound that was really, really tight to New York City. And, uh, you know, there would be certain pockets of places, but I, I didn't see us as as uh, pop. We, we couldn't compete with Stone Temple Pilots. You know, it wasn't happening, you know.
1: And then there's um, <coughs> the Civ Project, which yeah. is... Is that a what-hit-wonder? Is that what you would call that? So, uh, the
2: Civ Project was because, the, you know, we... Gorilla Biscuits would only, was only broken up maybe four or five years or something. But, but at the time, it seemed like a, a long time, actually. And Siv uh, and was tattooing, and I was living with the guitar player, Charlie Garriga, uh, for Siv. And we were just thinking, we should make a band with Siv. Mm-hmm. And so we started just playing. We had a couple of songs, and then we presented it to Siv. Like, hey, can we make a band up, and you're the singer, and we're going to call it Siv. <laughs> and and uh, he was just what, <laughs> um, yeah, Civ and uh, you know, because people wouldn't know what it was, and people who would know what it was would think, "Whoa, that's the guy from Grill Biscuits." And um, but so we it gave us more, le- kind of a little more room to, um, do hardcore stuff, which people would be really psyched on, and also do other pop stuff, or not, I think it was, to me, it was pop-oriented stuff, you know, maybe from that initial idea of what Gorilla Biscuits would be, you know, the more punky, poppy, and, uh, and get away with it without having to bring Gorilla Biscuits back, you know, really, and so it worked out really great. Our friend of ours, we had these two songs, and a friend of ours, uh, from Jackson Heights, he was, wanted to make videos, and, uh, and he had this great idea at that time. There was this whole talk show thing was happening with Ricky Lake. And uh, Homeboy, um, he's still doing the poor guy. Uh, what's his name? Uh, no, Marcos is fine. I'm trying to think of the uh, Jerry Spr- Spring-, Spring. Jerry Springer. I was going to say Jerry Springfield. Um, uh, he... You know, that was just like this insane thing that everyone was hyping on. And then he came up with this great concept. And um, so we made the video ourselves. We recorded the song ourselves. And I don't know, I presented it to somebody. And then we, we got a record deal on Atlantic Records. And, and that happened very quickly. It was, it was really cool. Because it kind of started with
1: <clears throat> a lot of punk credibility. Even though this is kind of the start of, I guess, what they call the ball punk yeah. era. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're doing a single. Your single is the first single is the cover of Kraut All Twisted. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, we were right, so it's fans. like kind of true to the. To yeah, the whole I mean, thing. it was.
2: It was. We were having fun and doing. I think the record still holds up really well. Actually, I'm I'm proud of it.
1: Now you wrote all those songs basically, mm. and also um Gorilla Biscuits. You wrote all mm. those songs, mm-hmm. like the demos you singing. It's like yeah. a one man band and. Hardcore is like a collaborative thing, usually. And, you know, what you're doing is almost like where, you know, Brian Wilson or Prince or, you know, somebody like that who's... really much. Not, not, not
2: <laughs> like a combination of the yeah. two. I wouldn't weigh heavily on one or the other.
1: It's like... But it is like kind of unusual. You know, that's one reason I want to have you here, too, because yeah. I kind of see, like, you subsume your personality a lot in Thank these you. projects, which is kind of usually what smart people do. They kind of, like, subsume their personality. Like, they bury it, like, no. a little bit. Like, I don't know, you know, like, uh, whatever. David Bowie tin machine, let's yeah. say. I'm not put you on that level, but I'm just saying that it's it's like just where you're going with it. Yeah, well, you could go there for sure.
2: Um, I think that...
1: But I think it says a lot as an artist to be able to, like, put yourself
2: under. Thank you. I, I think that while I was writing the songs, it's also not to... Say that, without the chemistry of the people that i 'm working with and their personalities like it's just like you know when you're around a certain i think you know people are so there's so many people every everybody has their person how they are with their family, how they are with this group of friends, how they are in school, how they are at work, you know what I mean all these different so the chemistry how you are with a group of people um, that person like how I am with Gorilla Biscuits, like the reason I was able to do the things I was able to do was because of the people that I was with. And so they thought the ideas that I thought were ridiculous, they were down to go with. So I felt like this is fun and that creates a creative atmosphere that's really, you know, where you you don't have limits and it brings out the best in you. And with each different group of people and the different things that I've done, I really play to that. You know, I think of, like, what will make this... What will spark that person's best side? And, and you know, if I'm, like... I just feel like those the chemistry is, is really important. And also, everybody's contributing. So it's, like, I couldn't say, like... I'm I'm not someone that's coming in and showing everybody what to do or telling everybody. I can be a jerk and say, like, that's, you know... But uh, if I feel like something should be one way and not the other, but... Um, But I think all those uh, different experiences is about the different times and different chemistries of of the people. And and also I'm I'm interested in trying to do something different, and I I enjoy it. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, as much as you do a lot of the composition and all that, you also have an incredible array, number of bands, outfits that you've been involved in. And I guess my question was you know, Rival Schools or Walking Concert or, or your solo or any of these projects, they're, they're not, there's different nuances, but they're not radically different musics. So it's not like you're playing bebop or hip hop or something. Um, so how do you distinguish that? Because it almost feels to me like it's your reason to play with other specific musicians. Yeah. So I wasn't quite sure. Is it like a musical thing or is it like the opportunity that it presents.
2: I guess it's the you know just. I never expected to be doing this. You know, it's just I, when we did uh, we got Gorilla Biscuits together. I surely did not think of it as something like any sort of career, and it's just led to different paths. And um, but I think that it's uh, you know different inspirations just kind of hit me, and different life circumstances just kind of come together. And 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 that and I've been fortunate that i get to that i've been able to document them in, in different periods with with different bands and i still am doing it you know i still am thinking about you know what is the next thing that would be i always think it's good to do something that makes you feel a little wobbly and uncertain and then that's always the thing that you're kind of afraid of doing is the one that you should go for mm-hmm. it's kind of I, someone said that in yoga class I went to or something. I don't know. It stuck with me.
1: But you step, stepped outside of yourself a lot, too. Try
2: to. Yeah. And, uh,
1: like, I mean, you even read the label. for You had a label for a while. Yes. And, and so kind of talk about some records, the store, and also some records, the short-lived label. I remember yeah. talking to you at the time when you had put that together. Yeah, and some
2: records, the store was... Uh, this really small, like, uh, as small of a, of a storefront as you could have on, uh, I guess it was on 5th. And um, and when I... Right off of, of 3rd Avenue. And, and so, anyway, when I went there, you know, getting into the hardcore scene and finding it, you know, nowadays, I mean, whatever. Nowadays, you, everything's easy. You can find everything. Back then, you couldn't find anything. And so... Uh, a friend of mine took me, okay, we're going to go to the punk record store, the hardcore record store. It's going to be so amazing. There's going to be punks there. And instead, it's this kind of like indie rock, kind of Thurston Moore looking guy with like two racks of records in this teeny, teeny space. And it's called Some Records. So it's like this most generic thing ever. And um, it was, you know, I was just expecting something more. And... uh, But within those two racks of records, were these just any one of them could have changed your life? You know, any one of the hundred records he had on offer. You know, I I often think, like, I wish I had gotten into the cramps earlier. You know, like, if I just bought the cramps record instead of, you know, the suicidal tendencies record, I would be a different person. But suicidal tendencies just seem crazier. And uh, that was this small space that, that we got to go in. So, anyway, when we, uh, it, you know, eventually they got a little bit bigger um, and they kind of merged with a, a store that's 99X, which sold Doc Martens and Fred Perry's. And anyway, it was great. But uh, when uh, a friend, a couple friends of mine, uh, Sam Siegler, who played in Civ and, and played in uh, Judge and a bunch of bands, of, uh, Youth Today, and a friend of ours, uh, Matt Pincus, who also played in Judge, wanted to start a record label. And um, so we were thinking of what would be a, a cool name for it. And so we asked Dwayne, who was the indie rock Thurston Moore-looking dude, and he said, yeah, that's great. So Sum is such a solid name. I think Matt still owns the URL, which is like gold. Yeah. Um. But anyway, uh, yeah, getting into the record business ourselves, Uh, I don't know that we were... I love all the bands, and we had so much fun doing it. We, uh, I remember, actually, when this was Brownies, ha- having a meeting with uh, Interpol before anybody wanted to sign them. Uh, and um, they were just kicking out their first drummer, and shit got weird. But they were way too smart to sign with us. Um, but anyway, uh, we were interested in the music that we liked. But in the course of it, uh, Taking back Sunday, we were like, eh, I don't feel it. Uh, <laughs> we're into Eric, Eric Mingus' album. And uh, who else? Thursday? Ah, I don't get it. You know, like, we're getting all these amazing bands that went on to do this other amazing things, but we did get Era Type 11, we did get Six Going On 7, we got uh, J Majesty, um, and, and it's no discredit to those other bands that are so awesome, and I'm friends with all of them, but uh, we were looking to um, do something different and, uh, and sort of unexpected, and, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I, don't know. I
1: also want to talk about work ethic, <clears throat> because um, that's a lot about what we're talking about here. Um, uh, that's why there's so many records, so many bands, which is a very Queens, outer borough kind of aesthetic and a very hardcore aesthetic too. I mean, rock and roll, punk rock, that's kind of lazy. Mm-hmm. You know, p- hardcore was hard and, and industrious and DIY. And so kind of talk about how that approach that you learned, I often talk about the ethic of it comes from two places. It comes from your family
2: and it comes from the hardcore scene. You know? I, I think that's a good point. I, I think that the the New York hardcore scene, like the biggest, people don't know, but I think where I, it's not where I grew up. in. I grew up in Rockaway, but when I moved to Astoria and lived in Jackson Heights, like that's really the heart of New York hardcore. You know, there was people that lived in the Lower East Side and, and, and there's lots of people from Manhattan, but I mean, so much of it came from Queens. And, you know, when I was going to high school in Long Island City High School, there would be like, communist people trying to recruit high school students there like there was it was working class people salt of the earth that's what astoria and and jackson heights w- w- was and and you know now it's probably changed to some degree of course but that that's that work ethic and that sort of no bullshit you know hardcore reality ethos is you know Pretension is is was not a thing that it didn't thrive in in the scene. You know, you'd go to a big show at the Ritz and and exploit it, or someone that was popular from England would play, and there would be a, a a larger selection of people that were, you know, maybe peacocking out more. But like in 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 the New York scene, it was like real, you know, queens, no bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Brooklyn, you know, credit to all the boroughs, but I think that that ethos runs through it and you know I think in no uh, I wanted, the example I think of the most uh, comes to mind is Sick of It All. I mean those people they they've been working their ass off for like 30 years doing something that they love but it isn't easy. You know what I mean? But they don't they're not crying about it. I mean the band's called Sick of It All so I guess it's <laughs> something there. But you know what I mean? I guess a lot of you know working class people could relate to that idea. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, we could
1: talk for for a long time, but I'm going to start wrapping it up. And by the way, we're going to take a few questions. Uh, uh, you'll stand over there, walk over, and uh, ask a question in a little while if you if you dare. Um, but I just kind of want to talk about music today because you're still really active. Dead Heavens is a hot band, and um, I just want your impressions of music today. Uh, I mean, to me, what I see is like. Like, while the mainstream is, like, atrocious, there is, like, a vibrant something bubbling under. Maybe I'm... I don't know if you share that feeling, but that's kind of... It seems a little more exciting than it was maybe five, ten years ago, let's say.
2: Yeah, I would say to, to cast it in a positive light, I think that there's a lot of... Um, I think the there was a time when it would be... People were trying to make it to the top, right? And I think nowadays, people are just want to have a really cool party and make something fun for their for their little group of people. And I think that that creates the possibility, it takes the pressure off, you know what I mean? I mean, of course, there's still this, like, industry idea, but I think that that's been kind of taken off the table, and so I think people are doing more wild stuff, and there's definitely, I, I find that re- refreshing, and I think there's so many, so much to choose from that's that's new, that would make a, a, you know, of course, like, it's not going to last necessarily because people are off and on to the next thing. But when you think about, you know, again, I'm thinking of the Ramones, like, the things that, that inspired them were these songs from the 1960s that were just cool and fast and then gone, you know? It was like, you know, Question Mark and the Mysterians, like, I, you don't need to buy their third album. It's like 96 Tears and we're good, yeah. you know? And everybody's happy for, like, generations. That song will make people psyched in 100 years. They won't have a choice. And so I think nowadays people can more just have that one moment. And if they have a little extra oomph, then they can go to the next thing. But I think it requires, um, yeah, you know, you need to have that work ethic. And you have to be into it on a bunch of different levels, you know. And, uh, you know, you have to be cut out for it and... uh, you have to really enjoy it or it gets old fast, you know. But I'm I'm kind of up on it, you know. I would totally, given the choice, I just read something where, you know, if everyone just, some sort of thing where, hey, what if we all just gave up our social media right now? Like, what would that be like? I'd be, I'm down, let's go. Yeah. But things being what they are, you know, let's make the most of it and just really freak out and and and, and take chances and,
1: Right, right on. No. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Tony. Um, okay. Uh, any questions? Any questions from the audience?
2: Hey there. Should I tell them that I brought sick prizes? Oh yeah. I brought sick prizes. Let's hear for Walter on. and Stephen. Blush, everybody. Thank
0: you. All right, thank you for coming. Uh, does anyone have a question for Walter? He has some pretty cool prizes. Uh you sir, come on up. It's like hey, what's your n- what's your name? Franz. Right on Franz. What's
3: your question? <laughs> it's Frank like Z in the end. Uh anyway, no, I was uh I just finished reading uh Roger's book from Agnostic Front. And uh well, I read a couple of other books and I'm I'm now close to my 40s. Uh, so I was thinking about, like, how do you feel about, like, the, the whole, like, historization of, of hardcore, New York hardcore and special, um, since, like, there's been so many books coming out, like, movies coming out. To me, like, from a, from a German perspective, we kind of got the same shit going on right now that a lot of people are, like, they're, they're documenting their life and, and what they did. Uh, but to me, it, to some extent, it feels like putting the whole thing to a museum and being like, "Okay, that's that." It's like now we're now we're here and now we're now we're settled. That's that. It's like it's 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 part of history.
0: Like it's like it's over, right?
3: Yeah, like it's over. And it and of course it isn't. I mean, of course, like if you look at Agnostic Front or you, for example. I mean, you're still active. You're still in the scene. You're still doing bands and, and, and stuff. How do you feel about like the whole like getting that? Yeah, to some extent it feels like some people try to like Yeah, it's over. I get you.
2: Um thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um yeah, I guess, you know, with the available, uh, you know, you know, at some point further back in time it would be too expensive to document all this crap. And now it's just like you can just do it. And, and uh, again, it kind of maybe re- re- goes back to what the, the last point is, is like, okay, yes, I totally agree with you. Like, my idea of what things were like, I mean, I, I went to some shows that certain people would think, that's amazing you went to that show. And when I was going to that show, I was like thinking, shit, I missed the cool shows, you know what I mean? So, you know, it, I think it has to do with your youth and, and, and all these kind of things, like what you perceive as being the cool time. And there is definitely a, a, so much to everything. Everybody's got a documentary, but what are we going to do? This is the time. We're documenting every freaking moment that we're, of our lives. This is just our culture. I'm down to, to quit if everyone else is. But if everyone's doing it, I'm not going to miss out. You know, I'll, I'll watch some of it. If I'm <laughs> flipping around, YouTube shit works out. I'm like, documentary of German hardcore. You got some subtitles. I'll watch it. Thank you. Good answer. Um,
0: and uh, stick around later. We'll have a cool prize. I feel like the
2: prizes should be presented because they're pretty dope. I brought them from my house, and they're cool. They are dope.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, anyone else have a question for, uh, for Walter? Anybody else? Come on, come on up here, sir. Sorry. Take your time, too. I'd like to take a moment to thank uh, Goody Girl Cookies for providing yeah, some Shira, thank yummy you. snacks. Right. And I would like to take a moment to... Uh, Tell everybody, please go to the show in Tompkins Square Park on the 29th. There's going to be a benefit for our friend Jimmy Gestapo, Jim Stresher from Murphy's Law. He's uh, touched all of our lives. Let's go support the guy. Come on, all right? It's a free show. Drew Stone and some other cool people are putting this on. There's great... Oh, they can only get the Mighty Mighty Boss Tone, so whatever. We'll, we'll make do. And some other great bands. So please, please attend. It's free, okay? Support New York Hardcore. This is New York.
2: All right, mm-hmm. uh, what's your name, sir? My name's Robert. Uh, hey, Robert. You have
0: a question for Walter Schreifel.
2: More of a comment. I also I grew up in Rockaway Beach. Oh, cool. And I went to junior high school 180. Oh, my God. And I remember you. <laughs> That's crazy. And I remember... You know of, this guy? Uh, Not yet.
1: But I remember, if I'm wrong, you did a talent show. Yes. And I remember the talent <laughs> show.
0: And I, I just wanted to know if that was correct. So I just haven't
1: That's
2: remembered. amazing. Yeah. Yes, we did a talent show yeah. and... Uh, I think we played... Uh, I, think, I think you played a Beatles song. Yeah, we played uh, Twist and Shout. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The Isley Brothers, whatever. That's it. I just, yeah. You know, That's just amazing. have that memory in my head. I just wanted to point it out. See, life is wild and cool. Thank you. Thank you for coming, and thanks for your question, and get a prize later. He's got good prizes, so yeah. please come around later and get your prize. Uh, anybody else? Come on, sir. Come on up. Come on up for a minute. Hey, man. What's, what's, your, what's your name?
3: My name's Paul. Thanks for coming, Paul.
0: What is your favorite
2: uh, places to play outside of the United States? The funnest place to play touring is to play in Japan. It's the best. It's just such a, a far out. It's so safe and so just crazy and, um, and just on 10. And yet just... It's not like you could go someplace that's on ten, and you'd feel danger. There, you don't feel any danger. And the other thing about Japanese people and culture, just they, it's so on them to uh, look out for you. So as a guest, it's just in their, it's just regs for them to like. You're not gonna pay for stuff. They're gonna look out for you. They're gonna take you to the cool place. And that's why I love it the most. Uh, funny enough, you were talking about
3: how you wanted to embrace that danger and your favorite country yeah. is the least dangerous of them all.
2: I've grown wiser. He brings the danger. I'm not looking I'm not looking for that. Yeah, I mean it's it's I, I, I understand. Yeah.
0: Where you're from. I'm just, I just I just thought it was a little ironic.
2: Good, yeah, I mean good, as a as a question. kid you want to, you want to uh, you want to push boundaries. You want to see what's up and and uh as an adult I'm cool with just having a nice time with my friends. Very good. In Japan, you know. that's. Arigato. <laughs>
0: Thank you for the question. How about uh, you, sir? Come on up. Thank you for coming. What's well, your name, sir? Uh,
3: real sweet and real short. Uh. I feel personally that there's been someone left out on this. You mentioned them right yeah. at the beginning, Jerry Williams. When's yeah. the documentary going to be done on him? Oh, All right, Jerry. let's hear it for Jerry Williams. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We're right next to 171A right now. Yeah. He's a very good friend of ours. Yeah. Right
2: on. That's right. That's crazy. Yeah, Jerry. Uh, he, he he's he's huge. I think he's he's felt throughout. Uh, you know, he's just so iconic. You know, when we were coming up, he was the guy that had seen it and done it, and he just had such a cool vibe. And he, you know, his his work with the Bad Brains is just lives on, and it will inspire forever. I mean, that's just you. And for c- me, like when we formed Voltron, he was the head. Right on. He's the head of a Voltron. He's that right. level. Me, I saw yeah. It. He, he was something else, man. I, I think people know. He definitely, you know, if we're making documentaries, i watched watch that one. I'd like, to, I'd like to say
0: something about, I'd like to say something about Jerry Williams. I went to the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction of the Beastie Boys in Cleveland, Ohio with the Glory Jones from T-Rex. They had a night from her. And we're waiting there and the Beastie Boys are getting inducted. You know, one of the members, as we know, passed away and that's right when he was very sick in the hospital. And it's like, they're going on and on about Rick Rubin. And this is an, Arena, 9,000 people. And I yelled out, Jerry Williams. And they started crying. And they had to talk about Jerry Williams. So let's give it up for Jerry Williams, yeah. man. Right on. Rock and roll. Very cool. Rock and roll. Thank you for your question. Wow. Anybody well, else? We have, one, we have one more thing. Come on up. What's your name? What's going on? Colin. How's it going? Hey, Colin. Uh, so question may be controversial. Uh, a couple questions about one subject. Walter sings the hits. The bootleg. Uh, how did that come out? Uh. How are you, th- <laughs> what did you think about it when it came out? Uh. And is there a chance in hell we'll see a live Walter
2: Sings the Hits? Oh, wow. Um, that, that's, that's a cool question. The uh, Walter Sings the Hits was uh, when we were doing the, the Gorilla Biscuit album, Start Today, I was, going, I was booked on a tour with Youth Today to go to Europe. So we, were, we had finished the music and uh, wanted to keep it on schedule. So normally I would work with Siv and, and be there in the studio, but I, I wasn't going to be able to do that. So to kind of get the vocal ideas across for him to do it when I wasn't there, uh, I just did like a one-take pass on the whole album and, uh, you know, holding the lyric sheets and just ran it. And uh, that cassette tape... Was just within the band, and I don't know how it got out beyond the band. It's like the Jerky Boys. It's like a Jerky Boys thing, <laughs> and um, and then eventually uh, it was bootlegged, and uh, I found out a couple years ago. And when it, the bootleg came out, I th- didn't. I I think my feeling with bootlegs is because people were giving me compliments about it and saying it was good. Then I didn't really have a problem with it. Uh, I thought it was great.
0: I'd love to see it live. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Uh and, and it was interesting some years ago a, a couple of few years ago uh Steve Aoki confessed that he was the one that had bootlegged it. And Kid uh, Millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was kind it was kind of interesting for him to to uh confess to it because of the other bootlegs he's the only guy that's f- confessed to to bootlegging us. <laughs> yeah, but thank you.
0: That's cool. Thank you for your question. Thank you, sir. And uh, I, I have one question for yeah. you. I would like to know how did uh, Dead Heavens come to be? How did it form? Because I've played in a lot of bands and uh, recordings with Paul Kostabi, and all of a sudden he's like, "I'm in this band," and he was really happy because uh, it's like it's not my band. I'm just in there. I could leave. And yeah. so tell me about that. Paul
2: Kostabi is a uh, a great artist and uh, and guitar player, and he, he's he's a New York fixture, uh, and he. Uh, He's just on Google him. He's, he's an amazing painter and, and musician. And, uh, well, I was looking to do uh, some new just solo material. And um, I had, uh, was playing with a couple of guys. And one of them was friends with Paul uh, through Cults. And uh, so he recorded some demos with us. And I just figured after we recorded the demos, like, Paul's such a badass guitar player. And he's got such a great vibe. Like, why don't we just get him and the band will be cooler? Good call, and that was it. I've been doing this for a while. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Thank I love you. it, man. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, thank you. Let's hear it for Walter Schreifels. Come thank on. Thank you all man. very much. And Thanks, Stephen Steve. Blush. All right. So let's hear it, Stephen Blush, the art of the interview, Walter Schreifels. Now, who do we have coming up the next month? Oh, we got two people. We got Vinny Stigma. And we have director Drew Stone. Hi everybody. He's going to be showing some of his new New York hardcore film here. So, um, thank you for coming.
1: We will see you next week on The Art of of the the interview. Interview.